I want to begin this morning by telling you a story. It's a story that will be familiar to many of you. It's a story from the scriptures. When Jesus first started his public ministry, uh, before he had traveled all the way down to Jerusalem and many of the places he went, he hung out around the Sea of Galilee. And it didn't take long for people to recognize that Jesus was different than other rabbis. He was not only teaching with a new kind of authority, but he was backing it up by miraculous acts and healing people. And on one occasion, Jesus went down near the seashore, and I believe he knew in his mind what he was about to do. But the people now were beginning to follow him. Large crowds were swarming around him. And as he got near the edge of the sea, they were pushing him so much that he was going to end up in the water. But there were two boats that were there. And the fishermen had come in from a night of fishing and were cleaning their nets near the boats. He took one of the boats, climbed into it, and sat in the stern. And from there, taught the people. Now, it's bad form, if you know anything about boats, to just get onto another person's boat without asking permission. But when you're the Lord and you need it, you take that boat. And Peter got in too, because it was Peter's boat. And he knew Jesus at this point. I think he had had a couple of interactions by by the river where John the Baptist was baptizing, and he had seen John say, here's the Lamb of God. And he was starting to see, okay, this Jesus is this new rabbi. I'm interested. So he's in the boat, and, and here's Jesus teaching the people whatever he wanted to teach them. And then when he's done, he says, hey, Peter, put out into the deep water. Let's go out a little deeper and cast the nets. We're gonna go fishing. And Peter says, Lord, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. And in his mind, he's thinking, and I just cleaned the nets. I don't want to get them dirty again. But because you say so, we'll do it. So they row out, they drop the nets, and they catch so many fish that they think, I imagine, that they've hooked an anchor or something. They're having trouble getting those up so much so that the nets are literally breaking. And so they start signaling for the other boat to come over and help them. And they're, in the urgency of the moment, they're watching all these fish, and I imagine as commercial fishermen, calculating how much money this would be worth, and thinking about their nets tearing, and the other boats coming over, and they're finally getting all the fish into the boats, and they're starting to sink. There are so many fish. At a certain moment, the urgency backed off enough that he could, Peter could see what was happening. He realized he was in the presence of holiness. He was in the presence of one who commands the fish in the sea and they obey. What would your reaction be if you were in that boat, in that experience? There really is only one reaction that's appropriate. Terrified awe. And so he falls on his knees in the stern of that boat and says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. That's Peter's response to Jesus. And you know what Jesus says to him? Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And once they got everything to the shore, we know from the other gospel, he just dropped the nets, left the fish, left the boats with Zebedee and the hired workers, and he and Andrew and James and John started following Jesus from that moment forward. Now, I tell you that story because it completes some of the details from Mark's reading that we just read. But I also tell it to um, help us understand discipleship a little bit. And if right now in your life, you are finding yourself perfectly content, all that you'd hoped in life was happening, you are thriving in every area, 
and you are satisfied, then don't get near Jesus or anyone who knows him. Because here's the truth. All of the marks of discipleship have this in common, change. All of the marks of discipleship involve transformation. And I'm going to explain, hopefully, three important marks of discipleship that will help us as a church understand what we mean when we hear Jesus say, go and make disciples. That's the Great Commission, and we take it very seriously. Go and make disciples. What is one? How do you know when you've made one? How do you know if you are one? I think there's a pretty simple explanation to that, and it comes out of this gospel from Jesus' very first call to these disciples. And I think it's appropriate, too, they're called the disciples, right? So we can presume that they were disciples. The 12 that followed him and many others fit the description, the marks of what a disciple is. Let me set up, though, where we've been before I give you the marks of a disciple. In this series called The Heart of Mission, we've been looking at the heart of mission. What is it that we're called to do? What is it that Jesus is about? When we began worship this morning, as a call to worship, Dan quoted Luke 19, where Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. And a couple of weeks ago, we heard a sermon on the kingdom of God being about relationships. And then we heard a sermon on the fact that relationships require investment. And then we heard a sermon on some of the ways you can invest in relationships. But today I want to address a little bit more of why. What do we hope will come out of those investments in relationships? Isn't it transformation? Isn't that what we're hoping will happen? If you think of somebody that does not know the Lord, is your desire to see their life changed, to see them transformed, right? We want to see lives changed and improved changed for the good. That's the, that's the hope that we have. Dr. Um, J.I. Packer has a really great book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And in that book, he distinguishes from how somebody gets saved to what the work of evangelism is. And it's helpful because we get caught up on sometimes the, the way the Holy Spirit is working and what his work is. But Packer says our job is to be witnesses and to lay out what the message is but to do it in such a way that it's compelling. We actually do want to convince people that Jesus is worth following. We do want to persuade them, not manipulate people. We're not trying to manipulate them or deceive them in any way, but the Holy Spirit's work is the changing of hearts. But the evangelist's work is the laying out in a compelling way the good news. And it is an invitation to change, to allow the Lord to change you. I shudder when I think about what my life would be like now if God hadn't changed it. In fact, I made a list. I sat down, I started making a list. Actually, I didn't, it wasn't comprehensive because I had to stop as it was kind of depressing when I thought about where I could go. And I, I don't want to think about that. <clears throat> I want to think more about where I am going by God's grace. But here's what I came up with. I wouldn't have purpose. I mean, a deep abiding purpose. <clears throat> oh yeah, I'd be pursuing self-interest, but you know, they don't satisfy. There's nothing in this life apart from serving the Lord that can satisfy us. So what we do is we find little things that tempt us and they make us think we could be satisfied and we pursue those and then we get it and it doesn't work. So we get something else. So it's, there's not a deep abiding sense of purpose. That's what, that's what I would have. I wouldn't have character, godly character. In fact, I would have a deteriorating character. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, there is something growing in each one of us 
that unless, unless nipped in the bud, will become hell. That there are things that are not good growing in each person, and the transformation of Jesus is the only thing that can help us. But my character would go from not great to worse to bad to hell. That's what would happen. I know that. I would be sarcastic about Christians. I would mock religion. I would look at something I don't understand and frankly feel confused or threatened by, and I would find ways to put it down and belittle it. I would be blind to the truth. I actually would think I know what's true, but don't. And then I would, I would know the wrath of God eventually, but never the love of God. That's a description of being lost. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. That's a description of what it would be like to be lost. And it's a frightening thing to think about. But thanks be to God that Jesus did come to save. Now, in the gospel that I read, Mark chapter 1, there's a parallel account in, Mark, in Matthew 4, and then, of course, the, the one that I quoted, in, or that I, that I expounded in that story was from Luke. And there are little details added in each story, depending on the angle at, from which the author was looking. And I find this to be a very helpful formula. Just simply what Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm gonna use that and I'm gonna come back to this over and over again in the coming years, I believe, because it's so helpful to show three marks of what a disciple is. And when we think about transformation for people, these are the things we wanna see happen. The first is the call and it's, it's about conversion. Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me. That's the invitation. If you want to just put the first one up, and we'll come, we'll come back to all of them. They want, to, they want to jump ahead, Daryl. We don't want them jumping ahead. There we go. Come follow me. Conversion. The invitation here is for you to make a decision to follow Jesus. And in order to make a, an informed decision, you have to consider who he is. What is the message? Who is the person? What is involved in following him? How do I count the cost? What is the cost? We have to do all the work of exploring him, of exploring his kingdom, of exploring his message. But then there comes a point where we actually have to make a willful decision to follow. I grew up in a church, uh, uh, you know, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and it was presumed that if you were a Catholic in good standing, you were automatically a Christian. That's what I was told in my family, in my parochial school. I went to Catholic grade school. I just, I had never been encouraged to actually make a decision to follow Jesus. I just was told that because I was Catholic, automatically I was Christian. But that's, that's not necessarily true. You have to decide to follow Jesus. It, it, it is a deliberate choice. And it means you have a new master, that you are laying down yourself as your Lord and you're saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. You are now my master. I, I repent of my sins. I surrender. I believe in you. I'm trusting you. Now, what are we doing? Where do we go? It's handing over control. It's choosing to receive the gifts that he has. He's your savior, but he's also your Lord. It's conversion. And for Peter, that happened in the time from when he was with all the fish to when they were on the shore. Now, like I said, he had seen Jesus around in the crowds a little bit. But it was at that moment that he made a willful decision that he was going to follow Jesus, even though he didn't have all the answers. None of us do. But when they got from him saying, Lord, depart from me, I'm sinful, to the shore, he dropped his nets and followed Jesus. He made a decision to become a disciple of Jesus. He got converted right there. 
Each one of us needs to get converted at some point. I think we also need to get converted every day over and over again, but at some point we have to make that willful decision and say, Jesus, you're my Lord, I'm going to serve you. The second thing is, so he says, come follow me. Then he says, I will make you. This is the word sanctification, which is a big seminary type word. It means becoming holy. Jesus' intention in seeking out the lost and then saving them was to help them become like him, to have reformed character, to be changed into his likeness. So when we convert, then we start to have something happening in us where our desires now are that we would be like Jesus. This is a lifelong process. You will never get away from sanctification. There's not a person on the earth who has been perfected, not even the Pope in Rome, no one. Everyone is in a process of being made holy. And the question, of course, on this one is, not only do I desire to be like him, but am I yielding to the process? Am I yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit? Meaning when he convicts me of sin, do I repent of it and go, go the way I'm supposed to go? Or do I fight, resist, push back? I heard a teaching uh, a while ago, a number of, uh, like 15 years ago now, that was about an illustration of groundwater, you know, the, the water down underneath the ground, getting down to the groundwater. And, and the preacher made a really helpful observation. He said, assuming you want to get to that groundwater, there are three ways you can experience it. One takes thousands of years, and it's the process of erosion. Wind, rain, beats on the rock, slowly cuts down through till you get down to groundwater. The second is a dynamic thing where an eruption happens. Something explodes up out of the ground, and now you've got a big opening. The third is very precise, and it's excavation. You drill. And when I think about the process of sanctification, I can just wait for the Holy Spirit to gradually wear me down. Or I can proactively partner with him in that. I can invite the process. I can say, come Holy Spirit and change me. I can learn the spiritual disciplines. I can excavate. I can drill down and say, give me the living water so I can go to his word in the morning and say, God, I want to hear from you today for me. Not just to understand what the Bible says, but what are you saying to me through the Bible? These disciplines are part of sanctification. It's part of that transforming process of the Lord changing us into his image, into his likeness. So come, follow me. I will make you. God is the one who does it, but we partner with him. And then fishers of men. The third mark of a disciple is mission. The, the disciple is a, someone who has a shareholder stake in Jesus' own mission. We recognize that he came to seek and save the lost, and he enlists us as his witnesses to help that process happen. So we should want to see lost people come to know Jesus. We should do everything we can to help them. We should pray that God would break our hearts for the things that break his heart. We should ask God to help us have his eyes to see people. You know, it's tempting to look at a lost person whose life is a wreck and judge it because we don't like the behaviors. And we can stand there in judgment and say, ah, that person has such terrible mouth. They just always, all these bad words coming out. I don't like being around that person. And we can, we can stand in judgment over it. Or we can ask God to help me see that person the way you see them, as someone precious in your eyes, and then ask him to help us give witness. I think about that simple illustration of one beggar showing another one where to find bread. If you found a lifetime supply of bread and you hoarded it for yourself and saw hungry people starving and didn't tell them, hey, 
They give out free bread over here every day. That's crazy to think like that. And yet, sometimes that's what happens. So if you think about where your life would be if Jesus had not transformed it, if you had not been saved, that's the bread. You've been given bread, and now your life looks radically different because it is being changed. You are being saved, and you have been saved. It's a process as well as a point of conversion. You have something to offer that they don't have, and you forget. I forget. I've walked with the Lord so long, I forget what it felt like to be outside of his kingdom. But a disciple, a person is not fully a disciple until he or she has taken the mission of Jesus personally as your mission as well. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. A disciple has those marks. They've been converted, they're being sanctified, and they have a mission. They share Jesus's mission. It's an intentional witness. Now, in conclusion, where do we go with this? Well, Those are three marks, and I imagine that there are three categories in this room. There are some in here who have never actually made the intentional decision to ask Jesus to be your Lord. You've never said, I surrender. Lord, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins. Have mercy on me and come into my life. I want you to be the Lord. You don't have to wait even until I'm done speaking to do that prayer. You can take care of that right now. And then the Holy Spirit will come into your life, and things will start to get wild and fun but you will not stay the same. There are some who've done that and you've seen Jesus only though more as your savior and not so much as your Lord, which means you're not submitting to the process of transformation. And so you are resisting the Holy Spirit, grieving him. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. He, the Holy Spirit, he can be resisted. He can be lied to. He can be grieved. Or you can walk by the Spirit. You can have more of him in your life. You can work with him for, for what he wants to do in your life. And then the third group would be those who have Jesus as your Lord as well as your Savior, but you've not yet seriously owned the mission. You're still looking at people outside, and they're outside. Your heart hasn't been broken yet for them. You might need to ask the Lord today to break your heart for the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He tells us so many things in the scriptures about how important that is. He says, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes in. He talks about a shepherd that leaves 99 sheep in the pen to go out and save the one. His heart is for the lost. And you need to ask him to make your heart for the lost if you want to be a disciple. Those are the marks of a true disciple. Somebody who's been converted, somebody who is being sanctified, and somebody who has taken Jesus's mission. I wanted to ask you to pray with me now for our church that this would happen increasingly so. Father, I thank you that you are always at work. Jesus, I thank you that you are alive, you are risen. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are empowering us here. Father, I pray for disciples in this church and disciples who can make other disciples because I know that's what you want. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.